Welcome to Facts Matter, the podcast discussing Michigan public policy through a research lens. Facts Matter is brought to you by the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, a 104-year-old independent nonprofit research organization that provides unbiased information on the significant issues concerning state and local government organization and finance. Our research can be found at crcmich.org. Now, let's dive into the facts that matter. Welcome back to another edition of Facts Matter. My name is Joe Steele. I'm joined today by the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, Eric Lufer, and research director, Craig Thiel. Today, we're gonna talk about two ballot proposals that are facing Michigan voters this election day. Oftentimes, ballot proposals go underreported and undernoticed, but these are critical as they're impacting Michigan policy going forward. Welcome to Eric and welcome to Craig. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Same here. So as mentioned, uh, Michigan voters are facing two ballot proposals, both dealing with the Michigan state constitution this election day. And they're varying in complexity, but I think they're both valuable to, to speak of and give people some insight on what they mean for Michigan policy going forward. Uh, so we'll take them in order since there's two of them. Uh, we'll start with number one regarding the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund. And Craig, I know you've done a bulk of the research on this particular topic. Can you give us in a nutshell what this ballot proposal means and what decision the voters are being asked to make. Sure, and I guess uh, to start out, this is something that voters have weighed in multiple times in the past. And uh, the last time they did so was in the early 2000s. Um, and this time what's being asked is whether or not changes in the use of state revenue generated from oil and gas leases on state-owned land should continue to go towards environmental conservation and natural resources protection, or if that money sometime in the future should flow to the state general fund. Uh, the proposal also deals with changing the mix in uses of those resources uh, between different purposes, uh, natural resource, conservation, environmental purposes. So in a nutshell, it's dealing with these two issues of earmarking future or dedicating future state revenues and the use and sufficiency of those revenues currently for environmental conservation and recreational purposes. Can you explain currently how the funds are being used? Sure, and that's a good question. Um, the voters put both the Natural Resources Trust Fund and the State Park Endowment Fund into the state constitution a number of years ago. And in both cases, the plan was to collect the revenues from these oil and gas leases and deposit them into these two funds. Um, the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund was the first um, pot of money to receive the, the, the the revenues um, and a cap was put in place of 500 million. So once that 500 million was hit, the annual revenue would then flow to the State Park Endowment Fund. That doesn't mean that the Natural Resources Trust Fund can't spend any of its money. It can't spend any of that 500 million, but the annual interest earnings on that 500 million is spent on various land acquisition, um, as well as developmental projects. The State Park Endowment Fund has a 
a cap of 800 million and currently they've uh, collected about 300 million towards that 800 million. So it'll be some time before the, uh, the 800 million cap is reached. But in the meantime, 50% of the annual revenue uh, from those leases uh, goes into the State Park Endowment Fund uh, into that uh, you know, corpus, into the principal balance, and then the other 50% is spent on improvements at our Michigan State Parks. And so what'll happen uh, going forward is the 50% uh, revenue will, will be used as well as the interest earnings until that State Park Endowment Fund reaches $800 million. Now, to the average Michigander, it sounds like 500 million and 800 million is a lot of money sitting there for state parks and natural resources. So, is there how much do they spend each year? Get, understanding that they just spend the are able to spend the the interest on that on that money. How much is available to the legislature or to the state park state parks right now annually? Um, and how much would be available in the future if this were to go on perpetually? Well, it's based on the corpus of the fund. Um, so right now the Natural Resources Trust Fund sitting at 500 million and that 500 million is invested like other dollars funds that the state has the responsibility for and it generates interest earnings based on market conditions. Um, so somewhere in the name and, and depending on those market conditions it can range from 20 to 50 million dollars a year. Um, the State Park Endowment Fund again gets 50% of the annual revenue plus the interest earnings on that and so that is going to be more a function of how many leases um, are uh, issued for extraction of natural resources on state land. And that is a function of a number of factors, you know, um, you know, demand for oil, demand for fossil fuels generally, the cost of extraction, um, any number of, of kind of geopolitical uh, factors can determine the revenue uh, going into the State Park Endowment Fund. The other piece of, of that equation is the interest earnings, and that functions very similar to the way the Natural Resources Trust Fund works. So there's uh, a little more uh, volatility with the State Park Endowment Fund revenue that's available each year. Now, I don't know that there's any argument about uh, the need for our state parks and to keep them uh you know, as, as, as gems as we'd like to, to see them. We just finished with a wonderful, you know, summertime to the extent that we could during a global pandemic. And, you know, the state parks are, are part of that uh, enjoyment for residents, both in-state and out-of-state. Um, so is part of the issue, uh, like you just said, the volatility of future funds and hamstringing, if you will, the legislature and the, the, the budgeting process going forward once the State Park Endowment Fund reaches that $800 million because as we know, each year going through the budget process, the legislature can only appropriate from its general fund. Uh, most of the other money is already spoken for. So can you touch on that a little bit in terms of what that means for future legislatures if this were to pass? Sure. And going back in time, it's always been the case that once these funds hit their principal caps that the money would revert to the state general fund. Um, we have a number of uh, vested interests who would like to continue the practice of sending the money uh, to 
environmental conservation recreational projects. So they want to change the earmarking provision in the constitution to continue that. Um, and that's the main motivation behind, um, behind doing this at this time. It's not estimated um, to uh, the state park endowment fund won't reach its cap until sometime uh, in 30 years time. So uh, it, it, to us, it's a question of why do we have to do this now? The other aspect of this proposal has to do with the mix of uses of resources and buried down in the details of this proposal, it changes what is currently a, fun, a funding ceiling and changes that to a funding floor. And in here, what I'm talking about is with respect to the Natural Resources Trust Fund, there's a limitation on the amount of money that can be spent each year on development projects. That's 25% of the annual revenue can be spent on development projects. The proponents of this proposal would like that 25% ceiling to become a floor so that at least 25% is spent on development. And this would match a provision in the Constitution that says at least 25% would be spent on land acquisition. So it balances the, the, the annual funding uh, minimums between acquisition and development. Well, that is a, a complicated and complex uh, issue. I want to take a, take a turn and look at uh, proposal number two. Uh, this one revolving around the protection of electronic data and communications. And for this, we'll, uh, we'll turn to Eric Alufer, president of the CRC of Michigan, who, uh, who did a lot of the research on this one. Eric, can you give us uh, a bit of a nutshell on what this proposal means to Michigan voters? Yeah, Proposal 2 uh, instills into our state constitution the protection for electronic data in electronic communications that currently exist in case law and practice of our law enforcement agencies and, and it gives it the security of the uh, state constitution. Uh, so our, our state constitution in article one has a number of protections very similar to what we see in the Bill of Rights of the U.S. Constitution and included in there is a uh, Section 11 says the person's houses, papers, and possessions of every person shall be secure from unreasonable search and seizure. And this would add electronic data and communications to those items being protected. Now, so why do we, why do we need this? If it's already covered under the federal uh, constitution and case law, as you mentioned, unlawful search and, and seizure, uh, is this duplicative to, to vote on this, to add it to the Michigan constitution? What's the, what's the sense in that? Yeah, so neither the Bill of Rights or the state constitution mention electronic data and communications presently. So this would uh, you know, sort of bring our state constitution up to 2020, the degree to which uh, electronic equipment, cell phones, PCs, laptops, uh, and other devices are, have become such an integral part of our lives. Um, it would give it the security. Our, our state Supreme Court is charged with interpreting state laws in the state constitution. So any security, any certainty you can put into those documents would help to provide guidance to our state Supreme Court when interpreting these documents. 
um, it, it really just you know, sort of modernizes the Constitution and brings it up to date. It doesn't really create any what you would call new protections. It just puts it into the Constitution. Uh, whether it's needed or not is really in the eye of the beholder for the people to decide do they want this in the Constitution or not. And this falls under the same categories as currently required, which is, you know, a warrant specifically naming items you're looking for. So they would uh, need to, there would need to be a warrant involved uh, uh, in searching your property or your premises uh, for specific electronic and, and digital data. Is that specifically laid out uh, here in terms of what that all requires? So electronic data and electronic communications could mean a variety of things, I suppose. Right. So the terms are very uh, broad, electronic data, electronic communications, um, and, and it mentions a warrant, but it's left to um, sort of the, the case law and, and statutory interpretation of those terms. Um, we know that a warrant must be filed by law enforcement officers and it must be based on probable cause. Um, and they have to specifically say what, what items they want to search, what they think they should be able to seize. So um, it goes into great detail here. Uh, what, is, what exactly is electronic data and communications and, and the degree uh, it can be searched is still, you know, as electronic data or electronic use of electronic uh, devices is evolving this is continuing to evolve and the courts are playing catch up to some degree, trying to decide uh, should law enforcement be able to look in emails and what about things posted on, in the cloud or uh, social media, things like that. Uh, you know, where do you draw the line? Uh, when you think about the type of information that's collected on a cell phone, you can see that the ability to get in there can tell anyone, law enforcement or anyone else able to harvest that data a great deal about where you've been, what type of items you've searched for, uh, who you interacted with, the apps you've been using and, and what kind of information can be gleaned from that. So um, this is a very important issue, use of electronic devices uh, you know, I can't imagine sort of leaving home. I feel naked leaving home without my cell phone. It, right. It's become part of who I am and, and our ability to work through this uh, pandemic to work remotely is all based on the ability to have electronic devices and, and the instant communication we're able to do. So uh, very important data, you know, question before us, but the, the bigger issue is does this need to be in the Constitution or should it be fluid enough to be dealt with, with through statutory law and allowing the courts to interpret based on the Bill of Rights and based on the provisions currently in our state constitution? Right. Well, I mean, both of these issues are, are very interesting in, the, in that, Eric, you mentioned um, the proposal, too, is, is where uh, obviously electronic data and things like that were not thought of when the constitution was was drafted either the state constitution or the or the u.s constitution and and so we're we're trying to catch up with our laws um and then 
the proposal one, as Craig mentioned, we're trying to, you know, we're looking into the future. What happens when this, uh, this cap reaches $800 million and, and how do we then uh, deal with our, with our Michigan natural, uh, natural resources and, and state parks and should that money be used as a floor or a ceiling and how much should be given back to the general fund. So we're looking into the, into the future there. So it's interesting. You can find more information about both of these proposals at crcmich.org. Hopefully everyone can make their way out to the polls on election day. If you haven't voted already, voting is happening as we speak. So hopefully folks can find this a little bit informative as they go ahead and make their decision for Michigan policy going forward. So thank you, Eric. And thank you, Craig. Hey, everyone. We will see you next time. Thank you so much. Along with this podcast, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan produces blogs, research papers, op-eds, and other resources to better inform Michigan citizens and policymakers. As an independent nonprofit, our work is funded by Michigan corporations, foundations, and individuals like yourself. If you like what you've heard, please consider making a donation by visiting crcmich.org and clicking on Get Involved. Thank you for your support.